Welcome everybody to another episode of the Money Mitch Effect. I'm your host Mitch Michaels. As always, lots of sports happening as we get into the month of May. Joined now on the show for our NFL Draft 2022 preview. Kent Brown coming in crystal clear. Kent, thanks for joining the show. And uh, yeah, it's really my favorite time of year. Hope it's yours too, but I really don't think you can beat draft week into the playoffs for hockey and basketball. Yeah, it's a cool time. I mean, obviously with football, you kind of go in a little bit of a lull after February, but now we have the draft. We get to start to see the rosters fill out. And as you said, we're in the first round of the NBA playoffs heading towards the second round. And then the Stanley Cup playoffs start two days after the NFL draft wraps up. So it's a lot of fun. Uh, You mix in a little bit of golf here and there. If you're a tennis fan as you are, that becomes a big deal with the majors coming up. So uh, yeah, it's an exciting time to be a sports fan. And and then there's baseball just in the early stages of the 162 games. Yeah, we got the Kentucky Derby as well. I forgot to mention some big fights. Um, I'm actually, you know, I think I think uh, after you, I'm going to be talking uh, hockey playoffs with Mika Parsons. I think that's what we're going to do next. <laughs> <laughs> the puck drop. I mean, you grow up in Hershey. I feel like by default, you would have had to at least watch a few hockey games. But, so you know, funny. it doesn't hurt if you're the Hershey Bears to just quickly tell the guy what the puck drop is. Yeah, like it's a photo op, you know, maybe you just be like, hey, you're going to, you know, go out there and shake hands. But that was, I mean, he was looking around like, why isn't somebody getting this puck? It was, it was phenomenal. Uh, And it was fun to see his teammates and Penn State guys like Saquon Barkley give him a hard time too. Uh, But as far as the draft goes, Kent, this was, this is the Vegas draft they wanted to do. Well, we're not able to do last year, uh, 2022 draft in Vegas, the Bellagio setup. Uh, and I think uh, the plan is still to just boat the people that are in the green room, quote unquote, on site out through the fountains onto that stage. So this is pomp and circumstance. The draft's been kind of building towards this way since it left its New York home for all those years. This is about as big for pomp and circumstance as it gets. Yeah, and it's probably the worst draft in terms of quarterbacks <laughs> that, that we've seen, in, at least since the Jamarcus Russell year. Uh, so it's it's kind of fitting that Vegas will sell itself in regards to like we'll pick up the event, but it might actually be one of the worst drafts in terms of just pure top end talent that we've seen quite in time. Yeah, it's like hope you're ready for defense and linemen to go top seven or eight because <laughs> that's what Vegas is going to get. But you know that there's tons of storylines every year, and we can just get right to it. The Jaguars get the top pick, and by all accounts, they're they're locked in on Aiden Hutchinson. I don't want to compare him necessarily, Kent, to the other edge rushers, a lot of those Ohio State guys, a lot of the guys that have come out at that position. I just want to point out by saying he's not a consensus top prospect on a lot of the draft boards, but he is a consensus in a lot of ways position pick for Jacksonville. And I'm going to ask you, do you think that has to do with the fact that he's maybe safer and that Jacksonville's coming off of the Urban Meyer experience? Urban Meyer experience. Well, it's interesting, though, because in the last couple of days, you've really started to see the Trevon Walker news out of Georgia that he might be the guy or depending on if you're a coach like Doug Peterson is, Iki Iquanu, the offensive lineman that he would rather form his offensive line with. Aiden Hutchinson is a safe pick. I think he'll be a reliable starter for a while. Uh, his upside, though, as you said, is probably out of let's just say the five top edge rushers based on projections. You have Walker, Hutchinson. Jermaine Johnson, Kayvon Thibodeau, uh, and those type of guys. And then then let's throw in George Karloftis even from Purdue, which I'm a big fan of. I think out of upside, 
you could make a good argument. Hutchinson probably has the, you know, in terms of ceiling, probably the lowest ceiling of those five. Mm. However, his basement is yeah. very good, meaning he's going to be, worst case, he's probably a guy who's like your third or fourth best defensive player on most teams, will be a reliable edge rusher on passing towns, and maybe he's just not a Pro Bowl caliber player like some of those other guys might be. But on the other hand, he has productivity. You watched him at Michigan. He was productive. He certainly is a guy who you know is going to be a high-motor guy. Mm -hmm. The issue is if you're Jacksonville is do you take the safe pick or do you take the high upside guy that, frankly, you haven't taken in most drafts? The Jaguars have a good history of taking kind of the safe pick, and it doesn't work out. And I I do want to ask you this, and I'm not just – asking you this because you're a Browns fan and I'm a Steelers fan, but I'm interested in this regard because as a Steelers fan, I haven't seen them in this position really my entire life where they're in the top five routinely. But as a Browns fan, you've seen that. How do you as a fan, when your team is in the top five all the time or top 10, would you rather take the safe pick or the high upside guy? I, I personally feel like as a fan, I would rather take the risk near the top of the draft on the high upside guy because safe picks a lot of times yeah. just don't pan out. I'm glad you asked that, and I think it's layered, right? And and I know it's like a cop-out in some ways, but I think that, that a lot of it has to do with, A, what the position is, what the competition of picks would be, and, and the fact that these are all edge rushers. I don't know that going outside the box necessarily is the gamble that you know it would be necessarily worth it. I just think coming off of last year, it's like that old adage where big wrestling fans where they say Vince McMahon just needs a hit. The Jacksonville cannot whiff on this pick. After all that they've been through, I think they have to nail this one. And that's why I think it's going to be Hutchinson because they might be sacrificing ceiling in some regards. But if they, I mean, if they don't make this pick, Kent, this is going to be very bad. And this is a team that has been perennially, you know, not. And I understand what you're saying, that they're not going for the top end pick and top end talent in a lot of cases. But I just don't think they have that luxury given all that they've been through. Uh, as far as the Browns in this situation, it was usually just between different positions. And granted, they made the wrong decision a lot of the times. But some of those, I mean, their best picks were boring picks. Joe Thomas over Adrian Peterson was a boring pick that got a lot of flack and it ended up being the right one. Um, I think when you add quarterbacks in the mix, that's when it just screws up the entire system. So I guess luckily for Jacksonville, they don't have to worry about having to reach for a quarterback here. Well, that's the key is... Fortunately for them, they were able to get their quarterback last year, and this year's quarterback class is so weak on paper that you just don't feel like, you know, the fact that you have your guy in Trevor Lawrence, Mm -hmm. it's nice to know that you didn't mess that up last year, and now you have to probably risk a picket with Willis, Ritter, one of those type of guys. But I, I look right now, and I do think, though, if you are Jacksonville and you watch Trevor Lawrence, much like Joe Burrow last year, you need to protect him up front. And I understand edge rushers are a huge deal, but I wouldn't mind, you know, if you're the Jaguars, make that offensive line as solid as can be. Yeah. Put Trevor Lawrence, you can always kind of manipulate. You can get some guys in later rounds. Don't you, good Ken, edge rushers. don't you think that because it actually would, and I agree, but don't, but that theory, that philosophy, but it kind of hurts Jacksonville because in other drafts, maybe you could trade down if there was a quarterback here. There's no quarterbacks in this draft where teams are like, I have to get this guy. So they don't really have the luxury to trade down like other years. Most years, I think, there are teams that would swap with you. And what's funny about this year is, too, because as you said at the top, it's offensive linemen and edge rushers. 
even if they were to trade down, which I know Jacksonville would want to trade down, the problem is most teams are saying we're not trading up mm-hmm. to one mm-hmm. because even the third best edge rusher or the third mm-hmm. best offensive tackle is similar to the first. And on many exactly. teams' boards, you could have Evan Neal, Charles Cross, and and Ike Aquanu, those guys could be ranked one through three all over the map. Same with the edge rushers. Kayvon Thibodeau could be the number one guy on some guys' boards. Others, it's Walker. Other, it's Jermaine Johnson. Others, it's Aiden Hutchinson. So on that level, teams just aren't going to give up the capital. It's not like teams are absolutely in love with one receiver that's Calvin Johnson level or a cornerback like Sauce Gardner, which I think is excellent. But teams generally don't trade up into the top two to get a cornerback. So that is where Jacksonville is a little bit hurt. I'm sure they would love to fall down to seven, eight, nine, or 10, or maybe even into the early teens if the spot was right. But nobody's going to trade up and give all that capital, knowing the fact that the two strongest positions in the top 10, you can get a guy eight, nine, or 10 that's very similar to a guy that could go top two. Before we go on, I just want to also mention the, if it is Hutchinson one, and Trayvon Walker, odds on two. If he might be one, but looking like one or two. That tweet you put out was mind-blowing, that George had four All-Americans and he wasn't one of them. And not only that, right, you, you add that in there, and then you throw in the fact that Jermaine Johnson might go top five, and he left Georgia last year because he was the backup defensive end and wanted to go to a spot like Florida State where they were desperate for a top seven talent and instantly day one he was their best player in their front seven when he enrolled but yeah it's crazy to think about that that you have four all-americans and the guy that right now as of tonight we're recording this on tuesday night he is the odds on favorite to go number one and yet he wasn't the kobe dean he wasn't either defensive tackle and wyatt or davis and then of course you know you start looking at the rest of the georgia team they were just loaded with players all over the I mean, they could have a couple guys on the back end that go really high. Uh, it's funny that I put together a little mock draft earlier. I sent it to a few friends, and I had N'Kobe Dean going 28th to the Packers, and my one buddy who's a Packers fan goes, no, I think it'll actually be Quay Walker who goes 28th. And he's like, oh, yeah, he's the other Georgia linebacker <laughs> not named N'Kobe Dean. So it's just you can alternate those guys yeah. and, and fit them in. It's just It was like the Shane Beamer line. I love that last year when Shane Beamer, yeah. the head coach of South Carolina, was asked about, like, well, what did Georgia do that prevented you guys from scoring? Like, what did they do? And he goes, wait, who? And then they go, the Georgia defense. He goes, huh, you mean that they have 105 stars <laughs> and they have and they every player is going to get drafted in the first two rounds? He goes, outside of that, they played really well and they played really hard. But he's like, you know, he's basically saying, like, they're just so loaded all over the field that it doesn't matter if you're a first team or a second teamer, you're going to be an impact NFL starter. And you're seeing that with this Georgia team. It's pretty impressive. So as I look at the rest of this draft, the mocks and just breaking it down, looking at, let's say the, the top echelon, the top 10 picks, top, top 10 prospects, however you want to call it, Kent, I think it's fair to say that there's no more intriguing for better or for worse than, Kayvon Thibodeau in this draft because I've seen him going very high our, our guy who we love who you know very well Daniel Jeremiah has him as his 10th best prospect there's starting to be some I don't want to say chatter but you know talks about whether he will end up in that good category great category or, or maybe being one of the picks that teams regret so would you agree he's the most fascinating part of this draft 
Yeah, I would put him at the top. I also think that Derek Stingley Jr. is very interesting mm, just because when he was a true freshman, he was hyped up as like if he was eligible today, he would go top 10. And then these last two years, he pretty much either didn't play or sat out as soon as LSU got really bad in the COVID season. And then another guy I would throw in there that I do think is fascinating is Jamison Williams, just based on the fact that Jamison Williams speed-wise – is so excellent but if you look at his college career he was the backup at ohio state he left for bama became as good a player as any in the country at receiver and then tore that achilles in the title game i think jamison williams to me is another guy though he could go number 10 to the jets and i wouldn't be shocked or he can go in the 20s and i wouldn't be surprised it's very it's just going to depend on which team wants to buy into him. I know he would go in the top 10 or 12 if that Achilles injury never happened because NFL teams love speed more than anything. But because it's an Achilles and he's almost definitely not going to be ready week one, it's a little hard to justify taking him in the top 10 if you're Jets when you have to really start to get the pieces together and win some football games. But going back to Thibodeau, yeah, he was looked at a year ago as the surefire number one guy next season. And most of the season he was looked that way. And then the film started coming Mm -hmm. out. And then some of his interviews started coming out. And this combine performance of him saying, I'm going to do all these drills. And then he did very little drills, (laughs) said, I'm going to work with the linebackers, which was weird. It's like, wait a second. Let the guys who do this for a living tell you where to go. So, But you're right. He could end up being the best player in this draft. And I don't think many people would be surprised. But it does seem like at least the last two months that more red flags have come about. I have a feeling, though, I feel pretty confident. I don't think he'll fall out of the top five. I feel like most likely he goes four or five, and that's where he'll fall. I guess there's a chance he can fall to nine and go to Seattle. But I think when all's said and done, the people saying he's not going to go in the top ten, I can't buy that. I think worst case, he's maybe nine but realistically i think he ends up in new york and he's either with the jets or the giants at four or five i think he could go three i think the texans could take him as well i just think like you said he looks the part he looks like the perfect first overall pick and you know the film came out the ducks did okay if not better in certain areas when he missed some time so there's some there's some thoughts there it's just an intriguing thing i agree with your other points as well uh, especially stingley you know, Sauce Gardner is all the rage, and, and he's played well. He looks great. He's the ideal type of, of next-level corner. But I don't think we should be sleeping on Stingley either. I think he's a fascinating one that will definitely go after him. But I'm, I'm buying the Stingley stock there. I'm not taking anything away from Sauce Gardner coming into this as the number one corner, but I do think Stingley's going to have something to say in his pro career too. One of the bets I have is uh, Stingley to go over pick eight and a half. So, hey, I'm cool if he goes nine or ten. I just don't want him going in the top eight. Okay. It's going to go down to really how much teams value him and where Soft Gardner goes. If Gardner's off at four to the Jets, then I think Stingley's way more in play to go for somewhere between pick four and nine. But assuming Sauce Gardner's up in the top five, Carolina at six, I don't think Atlanta at eight, and then most likely the Giants at seven, maybe they'll take him depending on who they took first. But I think they're going to go linemen, at least one offensive lineman with their two picks. So that's where Derek Stingley probably falls to number 12 and goes to the Vikings. But, yeah, he's a really intriguing prospect. And, look, as a freshman, he was great. Yeah, he did get beat several times. And in that Alabama game, 
you know, he got burned pretty badly there towards the end of the game. I think it was mm-hmm. might have been Jerry Judy who burned him. But nonetheless, he was a true freshman. It's going to happen. But he was outstanding in that national championship game, matched up with all those top-end Clemson players. And in the semifinals against Oklahoma, matched up with a guy named C.D. Lamb, who was pretty good. So, you know, he did his job in that playoff. Yeah. But since then, he's just – it's become an issue of does he want – to be playing football and in that UCLA game last year when it was the opener before he ended up uh, calling it quits on the season there were several plays in that game where he missed tackles he didn't look to be physical and that's the stuff that I think is not going to sit well with some NFL teams but assuming they believe in his physical attributes and they believe that his head's in the right place then teams are going to salivate over his physical tools because he has everything you think you would want in a high-end cornerback. So uh, it'll be exciting to see where he falls. Yeah. As I said, though, selfishly, I just hope he's he's not in the top eight. Kent Brown here on the Money Mitch Effect talking 2022 NFL draft. I will, uh, I'll, I'll push my chips in on one prospect in particular, Kent, that I'm, I, I think is going to excel at the next level. Call me a homer if you want, but I'm, I'm buying at the next level Garrett Wilson. I am. I think he's good, and I think the Falcons have to take him if he's still there at eight. I know there's some Drake London chatter as well, um, but I think you know Olave is great as well. But I just think Wilson's skills are going to translate. I think he plays bigger than his frame. I think he's a, he's a technician, and I think he's the guy that I would put my claim in of the not top five prospect, but he'd be the next batch for me. Yeah, I have him going eighth to the Falcons. I think it seems like a pretty good likelihood, and I also took him in terms of over unders. Uh, his draft position was nine and a half. I took the under. I personally think Chris Olave is an overall better receiver and will be the better pro of the two. So just in terms of like my projections, I'd probably go Traylon Burks mm. and Chris Olave as the top two receivers in this draft. And then Garrett Wilson, I'd throw third. But uh, look, he's a special player. If he goes to Atlanta, the quarterback issue, at least in year one, will be kind of up in the air you know whether it's Mariota or whether they go you know long term with somebody else who they draft or sign uh I think for for Garrett Wilson it's he's going to become an instant impact player no matter Mm -hmm. where he goes but yeah he's exceptional and that's the thing where you talked about I don't think you're being a homer by saying he's going to have a good career uh Alave's outstanding he's outstanding Traylon Burks all those guys are really good Jamison Williams if he if that Achilles heals he could be as good as any of them. Okay. Uh, there are some really special receivers. I know I don't like to give Penn State too much love in my life, but <laughs> Jahan Dotson's very good. And I think Jahan Dotson, if he ends up to like Kansas City at pick 29 or 30, that's a steal of a pick because I think he'll fit in perfectly with them. So the receivers, you can you can really do well if you take a receiver in the first round in this year's draft because all these guys on paper mm-hmm. – probably fit the mold but it's funny you almost have to rate receivers now in terms of skill set what they fit to each individual team this isn't kind of old school where you just go okay who's the number one receiver who's the number five receiver in this year's draft if you absolutely are looking at speed then it's Jamison Williams or Jahan Dotson I feel like or Chris Olave Olave on a deep threat yeah I do think that I mean that's why people love projecting him if it's possible to Green Bay because they just think, oh, plug and play would fit in here. I, I get what you're saying. 
Uh, and again, well, shout- I said to a buddy earlier yeah. today that's an actual he uh, he works for one of the top scouting services in the country, and he's with me. He thinks Alave is the best mm. receiver potentially I, in this draft. But the one thing we both said is we said, you notice there's two things at Ohio State that factored into this. One is every time they threw a deep ball, he seemed to have a defender beat. And also, when he when there was the go-to down and distance, when they absolutely needed that third down or needed mm-hmm. that touchdown, they went to Olave. He yeah. was the guy they went to the last couple seasons. It wasn't Wilson. And Wilson's great. But I think Olave on that end, he could be a real difference maker. I, again, I'm with you. I think Wilson goes yeah. number eight. I think he'll fit in nicely. And Traylon Burks is such a wild card because just on physical tools, he is really special. But he also might take a year or so that – the routes he ran, a lot of the system that they played at Arkansas, it doesn't quite translate to, let's say, the NFL in year one. But if he ends up on a team like Green Bay that's an instant playoff team uh, on pick 23 or 28, or let's say he goes to New England at 21, yeah, that's a really good thing for him to be with You know that type of coaching and that type of system, whether it's Belichick on the, on the Patriots' end or whether it's Aaron Rodgers and LaFleur with the Green Bay end. I think that that would be interesting to see. And then Dallas is a wild card. Remember, Dallas mm, dumped Amari Cooper. I just, Dallas is receiver probably going to offensive. Yeah. Receiver, again, would be would be interesting for them. And I was just th- saying in terms of Garrett Wilson, I think he's an impact player in any system, whatever the situation is. I do think Olave, deep threat, higher upside for sure. Um, but I could see... You know, there being a little bit more growing pains depending on where he goes. Uh, and also the fit Atlanta needs a receiver. Russell Gage is gone. And uh, Calvin Ridley is, you know, hitting up Yahoo Sportsbook, right? I mean, he's just... Right, right. And, and the two receivers I have going top 10, I have Wilson at 8 to the Falcons. And I have Drake London, the uh, the Park musketeer out here in Southern California. Mm-hmm. Him going to the New York Jets. And maybe there's too much smoke there. I think if the Jets don't take him... I think they'll take Jamison Williams. But as I said, if you're the Jets and you really want to start building up your, you know, second-year quarterback in Zach Wilson, taking a guy coming off an Achilles injury that might not be all that healthy to start the season seems like quite a risk. Now, maybe the Jets look at it and they go, look, we might improve by four or five games next year, but we're not a real threat to win anything. If that's the case, then with the receiver you think is better long-term. But the thing is, Zach Wilson – It'd be nice to have a top 10 talent that's instantly ready, and that appears to be what Drake London is. And he has a different sort of, again, a different type of receiver than some of the other guys we've mentioned. But he's a uh, he's a big physical receiver who I don't think – there are some people that says he doesn't have quite the separation that you would want, but he was also playing in a system which just didn't really factor that in. When you're in the air raid system, you know, I remember seeing last year I forget the exact stat. It was midway into the season, and he was playing Notre Dame. And at this point, he had like 70-some catches, and like only one of his catches weren't on the left side of the field. And yeah. it's like – so it wasn't like a complicated offense. The air raid is all – you know, get the grass, ball into get space. Yeah, you get the ball into space, find your open spot, and stay there. And they just didn't move him around the field. Right. That will change quite a bit. But I, I am interested in the receivers in this first round just to see where they go and what the pecking order is. It's going to be fun. Um, arguably, though, the most intrigue in terms of a group. Can't we got to talk quarterbacks? Now, I don't know if you have any action on when the first one goes. That's always a good, interesting one in, in years like this. 
do you think there'll be a quarterback taken in the top, let's say, 12? It's good you have that because I have Malik Willis over 12 and a half, and I made a fairly substantial bet on that. So I think unless somebody trades up, I don't. I don't think Carolina is going to take a quarterback at six. So well, if, if that, that doesn't happens, happen, if that doesn't happen, I don't think we see one until. Wow, I mean, I'd yeah, say 15, have, 16 easy for anyone if Carolina. Yeah, I have not. I have nineteen to the Saints with Pickett, and then I have twenty with Malik Willis to the Steelers. And maybe there's somebody, you know, obviously the Saints have two picks at 16 and 19. Maybe they just take a quarterback there. But, yeah, I, I mean, as a Steelers fan, I feel pretty confident that if the Saints don't take a quarterback with one of their two picks, then the Steelers get whichever quarterback they want at 20, which could be pretty nice. But, yeah, I look at it right now and feel pretty confident that Malik Willis will end up over 12 and a half. Pickett will be over, over pick 12. And those guys will both go in the first round. I really like the prop that's under three and a half quarterbacks, but there is quite a lot of juice. It's all it's all the way up on most books to minus three hundred. So you really are, unless you feel great about it. That's just you know you got to put in nine hundred bucks just to win three hundred. Right. Seems like it's probably not worth the risk. But then you start thinking about it. I think Ritter has a decent shot to go in late in the first round, maybe pick thirty two to Detroit because the one thing you have to keep in mind. When you do draft somebody in the first round, you get that extra year of a potential contract with them Mm -hmm. down the line. That's where taking a quarterback at 31 or 32 is smart. But then you start thinking about it. Who's the fourth guy? Maybe Matt Corral, if somebody believed in him. I don't think Sam Howell will go first round. Uh, You know, you start breaking down other prospects. None of them seem to be, you know, guys that will go in the first round. So realistically, I think three quarterbacks go. Ritter's right at the end. And more than likely, not no quarterbacks go in the top half of the first round. Yeah. Well, here's here's the. I agree with most of that. The only counters, the opportunity for counters would be. I actually think that there would be that it's pretty safe to say that it would be less than three. I think Riddler could go into the second round. Um, I only. I think it will determine if Detroit takes wants to take him or whoever's left at that thirty second pick. And that brings me to my bigger point. Ken, you mentioned it earlier. If you have, like the Saints do, that extra pick, you think, okay, this is a chance to take a flyer, take a risk, take a gamble. That's not just going to cripple your entire draft return on the first round. I, the reason I bring that up again and why I said 15-16, the Eagles have that pick at 15, assuming that they don't trade. That's one where I could think maybe with all the picks that they have, if they're not if they're not entirely sold on Hurts, that they might throw a quarterback in there. But for the most part, I'm with you. I don't think we're going to see many quarterbacks and making high in the draft just think that the usual suspects Saints Steelers maybe Philly maybe Detroit those would be the ones I think would go for quarterback in the first round if anyone does yeah it's also funny because the Steelers seemingly like Malik Willis a lot and that might fall right in their lap maybe they decide to trade up seeing the Eagles at 15 or Saints at 16 and if they get the vibe that neither team's going to take a quarterback then that might be where they trade up slightly, where they're not giving up a ton of capital just to move up four or five spots. But I wouldn't be shocked if that happens. But as I said, you start looking at teams in the top 10, top 12. I guess there's an outside chance Houston at 13. If they don't buy into Davis Mills, they can take a flyer and have Mills compete with whoever they draft at 13. But I just I have not heard that that's really the case. I feel like Houston's going to ride Davis Mills at least another year, see where things fall and then next year's draft i mean granted 
there's no guarantee you're anywhere near the top two. But next year's draft at least has on Young paper. And Stroud, for sure. Yeah, yeah, those two guys that are considered blue chip type of prospects where this year's draft just doesn't have that. So it'll be interesting to see kind of, you know, what teams decide middle of the mm-hmm. middle of the draft yeah. in terms of finding a quarterback. And for the Steelers, look, they they need help a lot of places. Offensive line, they can use a boost. They can use another D lineman. Safety could be help. Cornerback is never bad. You know, you always need extra corners. Whoever they draft a 20, most likely, unless it's a quarterback, is probably going to be an instant contributor, if not a starter. But it, the fact that they love Malik Willis as much as that the reports are out there, I don't think that they're going to pass up taking him if he's a 20. And Kenny Pickett, imagine this, though. Imagine if the Steelers don't take him and the Saints don't take him and the Eagles don't take him. Now you look after pick 20. That's what I, yeah, and that's what I was saying. New England. They're New might... England's not taking him. Mm. 22 is Green Bay. They're not taking him. Arizona, unless they want to move on from Murray, they're yeah. not taking him. And then you look at 24, 25. Buffalo and Dallas aren't. Maybe 26 with Tennessee. Tennessee could be a potential landing spot just because what's the upside long-term with Tannehill? And if you bring in Pickett as a backup, that's a pretty solid backup to have ready. Yeah, and I was going to also bring up that if there was odds that less than two quarterbacks go in the first round, that might be worth a flyer, you know, worth a little sprinkle because there are these scenarios where all it takes is one of the teams that we mentioned saying, ah, we don't really want to, like the Saints, for example, and then Pickett falls maybe out of the first round. Also could correspond, Kent, with the fact that will we, we might see a trade, like it's possible Baker Mayfield, Jimmy Garoppolo, if something like that were to happen, suddenly the quarterback jobs and the quarterback market could dry up. Yeah, and then I, I want to give a quick shout-out, too, to N'Kobe Dean, the linebacker, who I had going 28th to the Packers. If he falls out of the first round, I think the NFL's just, just <laughs> looking. We might cancel the combine. Too, we might cancel the combine. They're overly analytical, the same way basketball and baseball are starting to become. I'm sorry, but I watched a guy play at Georgia. Maybe I'm wrong, and he's just not going to be an effective NFL starter. But I remember... <laughs> You know, being, you know, watching him. And he's one of those guys that, like, you watch and other people who don't know all that much yeah. about football yeah. watching and go, who's that? that just Did that play against Michigan where he yes. covered the whole field? Yeah. And, like, to think, I, I, I you know, I'm sorry. Maybe again, I'm, I'm mistaken, but I watch football enough to know that guy's one of the 32 players in this draft. And some of these people that are thinking he's not. You know, maybe you take Devin Lloyd over him from Utah. Okay, so be it. But when you start getting in the 20s and your playoff caliber teams, he's an instant plug-and-play guy that, you know, it, it is kind of funny. Like him, Tyler uh, Litterbaum, who's the center, those type of guys, they're talked about as, oh, those will be starters for eight years. Okay, well, then take the guy in the first round then. Like most yeah. teams in the NFL draft a guy who they would love to have start for their first eight years of their season. So if Linderbaum's available in the 20s, take him. If Nicobe Dean's available in the 20s and you just absolutely have some luxury where you don't have a team need glaring you in the face, take him. I mean, even Kansas City, as much as they probably want to go after a wide receiver, they want to go after a DB, if one of those two guys fall, especially Nicobe Dean, just take him and he's going to be an outstanding defender for you on a championship-level team. There's nothing wrong with that. A few more things with Kent Brown before we wrap up here on the Money Mitch Effect. Uh, real last main point I have, Kent, is by all accounts, Kenny Walker is going to be the running back taken first. Where do you think that will be? Or will there be somebody that 
surprises us and gets taken ahead of him. Yeah, Brees Hall from Iowa State is certainly uh, in that mix as well. And seemingly the pick most likely in the 20s that people are at least looking at as a running back going in the first would be be Buffalo. Mm -hmm. Because when you look at Buffalo, that's kind of the one thing in their offense that they just haven't been able to find. Like they've had Zach Moss. They've had Devin Singletary. They've tried to kind of utilize other as free agents and none of them have really panned out that much. So if you're buck, it's a relatively a luxury pick for Buffalo. They might be the one to pull that trigger and take Brees Hall or yeah. take Kenneth Walker. Uh, so yeah, one of those two could go pick 25. This is a running back draft like many that it's hard to predict uh, in terms of like, there's no complete standout, but who's to say like the sixth or seventh best back in this class is not going to become a really good player it's so hard to know and a lot of that has to do with the players around you and the talent around you but yeah i think outside of buffalo at 25 there's not too many other teams that late in this draft i think would want to take a running back so for the most part i feel like there's decent there's a decent likelihood that no running backs go in the first round yeah that's my bad i forgot about hall being such a highly regarded prospect but they are pretty comparable there and i do agree with you that buffalo at that late first round pick it's funny that seems where that's the range where teams will make that move and and draft a running back but i think we can look at the last couple drafts kent the first running back pick has not been the best running back i mean i go back to 2020 when it was you know 2020 in the near one where it was uh clyde edwards alaire and jonathan taylor goes after him uh, we can go back even further, the Browns-Nick Chubb draft. I mean, it's just funny how I agree. You don't need to target the first round. Buffalo has a weakness at running back that they need to address. I'm just not sure that going with the running back there would be the best way to do it. But I agree. I think, I think I think you can afford to take uh, an interior offensive lineman that's going to be a starter. You could potentially take a defensive back. I mean, you now look, you're in that division now where who's entered? your division you have a guy named Tyreek Hill that's pretty special (laughs) he's now in your division you're you're, you know the Jets are going to add one of those receivers at pick 10 most likely that's now other big time athlete in your division the Patriots uh have gotten better with their receiving core over the offseason that's another team you have to factor in so if you're the Bills maybe cornerback as well as a position that that you look at the difference is this is not a great cornerback class where you have those top two guys and then you throw in a McDuffie from Washington as the pretty consensus third corner. But then you look at fourth corners and there's a lot, a lot of, you know, will it be another Washington corner and Kyler Gordon? There's a couple other guys that are in the mix that some people like. But for the most part, corner this year is unless you really absolutely are in love with one of the top three, chances are you're not going to love the fourth, tenth corners all that much. So that's where Buffalo more than likely will either take an offensive lineman or you know what they could do if one of those receivers fall and you have Williams, Burks, Alave, any of those type of guys. There's Watson, who's the guy from North Dakota State that a lot of people Mm. love. What if you take him? Look, Mm. at the end of the day, if you're Buffalo, it doesn't hurt to have one more playmaker for Josh Allen to throw to. Yeah, well, Gabriel Davis really stood out last year in that playoff game. But I agree. I mean, it never hurts to have another playmaker, and uh, you know he'll be playing with a great quarterback. Uh, Kent, as we put a bow on this draft talk, any other prop bets you like or any other you know action you see? Yeah, so there are a few in terms of I've already taken a bunch of the over-under picks. So 
Uh, the one I like the most is Aquanu to go under pick four and a half. I feel pretty confident that he'll go either number one or number three. I most likely think he'll go three to Houston, but if he doesn't, then pick four very easily could be an offensive lineman. So I, I think he'll go in the top four. I like that one. I'm a big believer, as I said, in, in Malik Willis to go outside the top 12. So the over 12 and a half for him. Uh, Garrett Wilson, I like him inside the top 10. I think the Falcons will take him. I think that's a pretty good value pick. And then a couple others that I would throw some money on. Jermaine Johnson, under pick nine and a half. He was the uh, Florida State edge rusher that there's a lot of rumors the Jets are going to take him at four. If that's the case, uh, then you win it very easily. But even if not, I find it hard to believe he falls further than nine because here's the issue is if he's available at nine to Seattle, then that almost definitely means Thibodeau's off the board, Aiden Hutchinson's off the board, trade of Von Walker, and most likely Sauce Gardner, all of those guys that I think Seattle would have interest in. So to me, Jermaine Johnson, and I know Gardner's a corner, but I think Gardner's very much in play at nine if all those edge rushers are gone. So Jermaine Johnson under pick nine and a half as well. And then I mentioned earlier Stingley. I, I don't love the bet. I took it for a small amount, but I think Stingley over eight, eight and a half is probably going to happen uh, unless there's just a team that really believes in him, like maybe the Giants at seven or somebody like that. I love it. I think, uh, and I'm not rooting. I, I actually think Stingley's going to be a very good NFL player, but I understand that. The, the value of betting on him to fall in this draft is is where it's at. Um, that said, Kent, pleasure talking draft with you. Uh, I was going to ask you, though, when and where will we see Debo Samuel next? That's a real mystery, and I, I think that there's a lot of potential suitors. I Look, I, I think San Francisco is kind of playing this right, where as good as he is, if, if they're going to use him in that role long term, he's not, you know, our true running back. So it's like your value is not as high as what you probably think it is on the open market. And on top of it, you saw a guy like, for instance, kind of similar in some ways to like how Lev Bell was with the Steelers where they use him. You know, he was trying to say, like, I'm a number two receiver and a number one running back. Debo's kind of doing it the opposite way. Uh, I don't know exactly where he'll end up, but I will say, though, you start looking at some of those teams with two draft picks in the first round. And New Orleans would be an intriguing thing to kind of have him and Kamara and Michael Thomas all in the same field together. Uh, you throw in the fact that the Eagles could also be kind of one of those teams. I mean, they've been missing receivers in the draft the last couple of years. So maybe they just go all in on a guy like Debo. The difference is I don't know who they get back. And then there's that Kansas City team lingering out there late in the first round where if they start offering up, hey, take our two picks. We'll bring him in. We'll give him the big contract. We lost Tyree Kill. That's a pretty effective way to kind of, you know, ease the tension of losing a guy like Tyree Kill. But the issue is, wherever he goes, they're going to have to sign him to that big contract. So you just have to look at which team would would fit in. And there's plenty of teams that could do it. I just don't know as of now. I, I don't have a true hunch of where he ends up. But, uh, you know, I do think that if you're San Francisco – I don't necessarily think that Debo Samuel makes or breaks your long-term team. I agree with that. And uh, it's like that, you know, I think it's like that old philosopher used to say that there's two types of people in this world, people that get stomped and people that do the stomping. So. And Debo, we think he's the one that 
does the stomping, but who's to say on the new team he's not the one that gets I stomped? I mean, yeah, I, I, and honestly, to keep that going, I mean, you'd have to think the lack of respect is what's the most, or maybe the second most. Well, that and also, he always talks about, and I don't quite know how it translates to uh, the team, but he likes going up to tall buildings, and he likes, uh, <laughs> he likes to, needless to say, yeah. you know, relieve himself so yeah to speak. He, well sometimes I, that doesn't work it's uh it's unfortunate but uh he's a heck of a player so we'll see where he goes next uh i can't but wait he is also he's a great storyteller and that story that he talks about and this is back when he was at south carolina it became a big story but the, how his mom and his dad got together it's a long story or a short story um yeah just don't ask him what the company name is because it might not go well for you Kent, pleasure as always. Uh, I look forward to seeing this draft, seeing how right or wrong our predictions are, and just seeing the later round picks, right? Because you know Vegas, you know the the reoccurring theme that's happened the last couple years where they bring celebrities in, they bring local flair to introduce the late round picks. Are they going to be able to show this on TV now that I say that out loud? <laughs> uh, I hope so. It was, it, I still think about that 2020 yeah. draft. Yeah. Adele like, doing the draft from his like couch that he clearly had to like – get furniture that wasn't as elaborate as his real <laughs> furniture that way he looked more like a man of the people but that was very odd like when he like started like like he had like candy bars next to him and you know it was like hey goodell we need to make it seem like you're like somewhat of a human that people can relate to yeah just don't do any picks from that bridge i know it's at bellagio from that bridge from bellagio to caesars i don't think that would go well or it might go really well, depending on your time of frame. Depending on it. Kent Brown, thanks for joining the show. Appreciate talking uh, NFL Draft with you. Always. It was Kent Brown on the Money Mitch Effect. We're on all your podcast platforms. Go to iTunes. Go to Google Podcasts. Go to Spotify. We're on all your platforms there. Search Money Mitch Effect. It pops right up. And you can check out the Money Mitch Effect Facebook page. And follow me on Twitter at MoneyMitchM21. We will be back next week. Got to preview the entire Stanley Cup playoffs as well as recap all the action in the NBA. Talk a little baseball, tennis, you name it. We have it covered here. For Kent Brown, I'm Mitch Michaels. This was the Money Mitch Effect. Thank you for listening and keep enjoying sports.